Tonight, uh, I want to begin a message that I will fully jump into Sunday. Is that okay? So uh, instead of doing two Sundays, I'm just going to do a Wednesday night. So you're going to get the first draft, uh, kind of the first part. It won't be the same uh, scriptures or anything like that, but you're going to get the second half of of a sermon. So I'm preaching the second half, then Sunday I'll preach the first half. So what we want to talk about tonight, uh, as you turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings, go with me to 1 Kings 18, and then we'll pull up chapter uh, verse 1, and this, then verse 42 through 46 is where we begin. 1 Kings 18, first verse 1, then verse 42 through 46. And I want to talk tonight, the best way to predict your future. The best way to predict, if, you, if anybody like... You know, we see, drive by and you see these palms on a billboard and it's like, oh, come find out. You know, I always wondered why those people didn't just, you know, win the lotteries. You know, if they can, if they can tell numbers and they can tell what you're supposed to be, then it ought to be pretty simple. And the problem is many times is that it is very hard to predict futures. It's very hard to predict where you're going, but really not totally. Because God gives us and, and allows us to have ways in which we can do it. And one of them is very important. Let me show it to you. The best way to predict your future, you can write this down, it's very deep, create it. Look at the person beside you and say, create it. You, you have to decide that there is something that I'm passionate about, something I want to do, and, and something that God has given me to do, and I'm going to see it through. That seems so strange in our time because if something isn't working, we just quit it. If something isn't easy, we just go to something else. We, we, we try something new. Maybe it wasn't God's will. Maybe it just wasn't meant to be. Maybe, and we come up with all the excuses, but really that's not the truth. When you see successful people, when you watch people who are successful, it's not because it was easy or everything worked out well. It was because there was something in them that said this needed to be done. This is something that needs to be accomplished. I hope one day I'll, I'll fit in some of that. I hope someday somebody will say that, that, that they will say, I was successful. And successful doesn't mean I'll be rich, for sure. But successful can mean whatever he put his hands to, whatever he put his heart to, he did it with everything he had, and he accomplished a lot of things. That's what you want in your life. That's what you want to be able to say. It's what your children, and when you look at them, you want them to know about you. Well, let me show it to you uh, in some different ways. Uh, I love poetry, and, and so uh, one of my favorites is The Builders, and uh, it's by Henry uh, Longfellow. And, and let me just read the first two stanzas from Henry Longfellow's The Builders. This is a great poem. You can write it down, and it's good to uh, go back and reread the whole thing. He said, all are architects of fate, working in the walls of time, some with massive deeds and great some with ornaments of rhyme. Nothing useless is or low. Everything in its place is best. And what seems but idle show strengthens and supports the rest. And he goes on to talk about that we all are given time. And inside that sphere of time, whatever we're doing is adding to life. It's adding to the history. And, and he gets to the end and he says, to be successful means that you've built the castle. It means you've accomplished. You, you stand at the top of the castle that you've built and you look over your life, you look over time that you lived in, you look over everything and you say to yourself, ah, I see it. I see what my life was meant to do. I see what it was meant to do. I, I see who it touched. I see whose life would be different if I hadn't have been in it. And the ultimate goal in life is to do that. And the only way to not do that is to do nothing. Now, that's a horrible word. Let me say it to you this way. If you were to work for hours on your car, if you were to work for hours on your car, I mean, you just, look, I got to get this thing. It won't turn over. It won't run. You, you went and got batteries. You, you did everything. You run every kind of test you could. You, you changed the spark plug. I mean, you worked hours on this. You sit in the car, and then you're like, you know how you just sit there, and it's like, oh, please, just let this work. Let this. You turn the key, and 
nothing. That is one of the most horrible feelings. That word, that, that word that just seems to, to just radiate that there's nothing good going to happen. You get up early every morning. You work out. You, you've been doing it for weeks, but you, you didn't, you didn't want to you know, kind of push it. You just want to kind of get started. So as you've been working out these couple of weeks, you, you decided, okay, I'm finally going to get on the scales. I, this is what I weighed when I started a month ago, and now I'm fixed to get on the scales. And you step on the scales and nothing. Really? Really? I should have just ate pizza. I shouldn't have even worried about it. I should have just done whatever I wanted to do. Isn't that one of the worst feelings to feel like I've done all of this work for nothing? For nothing. You fill out an application. Your friend says, hey, they're hiring at such and such. You need to fill out an application. They're hiring. I mean, they're hiring all over the place. And and you fill out the application and, and, and two weeks, three weeks, Nothing. You do what the doctor says. You take the medicine. You've done exactly the way he told you. You No change. Nothing. Life is full of nothing moments. I know that seems strange because we always love to talk about what's going on in our lives. But life isn't always filled with it. That's one of the struggles our generation has. It's called boredom. It's called that gap in between, I just did this fun thing, and I just did this fun thing. That time in between, what are you doing today? Nothing. What's going on? Anything exciting? Nothing. And that's, that just, it almost makes you feel bad when somebody tells you, like, really? Nothing? You almost want to say, well, let's just go do something together because you feel bad for them. You don't even want to do anything with them, but you feel so bad that they're doing nothing that you're like, well, we ought to go see a movie. And then you hang up the phone. It's like, why did I ask them to go see a movie? I don't even want to go. But it's something about feeling Nothing. And dealing with nothing. I guarantee you there's people in this room right now that feel like I'm in a nothing moment. I'm in a moment right now, Brother Lot, that all my expectations, I just don't, I don't see them met. I, I, I'm, I expected an oasis, but all I've got is a dry spot. My caring has become cursing. My, my hope has turned into just whatever. My, my wedding, my life has turned into war. It's called nothing. And we all reach nothing moments. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter how, how mighty you are, and the fighting off of nothing is huge. Let me, let me show you, as I show you a few quotes here. Because you think that, well, it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. Here's what writers say. Here's what George Shaw said. A life spent making mistakes is not only honorable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. One writer says it this way. Nothing comes from doing nothing. Life is inherently risky. It is. There is only one big risk you should avoid at all costs, and that's the risk of doing nothing. These are successful people. Edmund Burke said it this way, the only thing necessary for for the triumph of evil is for good men to do. I can keep going. Doing something costs something. Doing nothing costs something. And quite often, doing nothing costs a lot more. Just standing back, think of the times you didn't, I just don't want to get into that. And then it came out to be worse than if you'd have fixed it to begin with. I don't want to say anything. And then you look back, I should have said something. I should have done something. 
I should have react. I should. I should not have just done nothing. In life, this is part of what we deal with. Now, go with me to First Kings eighteen, and I want to show you how to break free from nothing. Because I, I like Elijah. Me and Elijah probably have a lot of similar personality. He he just wants to see. He just wants to see things done. He doesn't really want to get into all the life and, and detail. And I've talked about this weeks ago when I talked about Elisha. He's more like, more like the Jesus version. He's, he's, more, he's more personable. He's more, Elisha's just like, look, calling down fire, get it right. And he can't understand why people just don't do what they need to do. And that becomes frustrating sometimes. So Elijah is, is in this moment where he's dealing with a problem. So let's begin to read. And it came to pass, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain to the earth. So verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Then he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And the servant, he said, go again. Then it came to pass when the seventh time that he had said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in, in the meantime that the sky became black and the clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now this is a powerful moment. Something mighty has just happened. And when I got to go to Israel, we got to go to the certain mountain and has a statue there of Elijah who calls down fire on Mount Carmel. This is, this is a, a very historic place. Mount Carmel is a place where you, you tour it if you go to Israel, if you, if you go to these places and, and it overlooks the Kidron Valley where the Battle of Armageddon will one day take place. All of this is there. And there in that place is where Elijah calls the prophets of Baal in a challenge and he, the 450 prophets of Baal and he says, we're going to see which one's God, Baal or our God, uh, Jehovah. And he says, we're going to see which one can call down fire. And so this became a battle. We know the story that the Baal worshipers, the 450 priests of Baal, did everything they could, they danced, they, they spent hours, they cut themselves, they did everything they could, but no fire. Elijah says, that's enough. He takes water, pours it on his sacrifice. He digs a trench around it, he, he builds the altar just a certain way, sets everything. And just a short prayer, a hundred and something word prayer, boom, fire falls. Consumes the water, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar. I mean, it is fire. Everybody that is there, all the leaders of Israel are there. And, and there they kill the 450 prophets of Baal. And you're thinking, yes, Israel's going to get it right. And, and Elijah is like, yes. But instead of this great revival, Ahab gets on his chariot and heads to Jezebel. She's in Jezreel, and as he does, Elijah goes to the mountain. And, and I love what it says. He just kneels and bows and puts his head between his legs. There's, there's nothing. Nothing happened. There's no great revival. There's no... Three and a half years, it, they have not seen rain. And Elijah says, you won't see rain until I say so. And it's at this moment God speaks to him and says, Elijah, I'm fixing to send rain. 
We're going we're to do this. And as soon as rain comes, nothing. This great moment when you go there and see this altar and you see all this and the statue of Elijah and you think, man, something real significant happened here. Let me tell you what happened there. Nothing. It was a great moment. It was a cool thing to see. But the next scene is him on a mountain praying and hoping and believing for rain. Number one, if you're going to be successful, if you're going to predict your future, if you're going to move past this, because Elijah doesn't die here, Elijah doesn't, he moves on. He becomes very successful. How does he do that? Well, number one, you're going to have to live through the nothing moments where you believe promise over proof. There are going to be moments in your life where you're going to have to believe the promise that God gave in verse 1, Elijah, I'm going to send rain. Things are fixing to get better. Versus the proof where you're sitting there and Ahab is riding away, the people haven't changed, and you're stick, sitting there with one servant and you're wanting to see it rain. And you're going to have to, in those moments of your life, you're going to have to be able to say, I believe God's word over what I can see, over the proof. Let me see if I can say it this way. Some people have the proof that they have a disease. Some people have the proof that they have a sickness. But can I tell you, you also have a promise of healing. Some of you in this room have proof of broken marriages. But you also have a promise of being made whole again. Some of us have proof of being broken personally of things people have done. But we also have the proof that God won't leave us and the promise that God won't forsake us and the promise that He will make a way. We have this proof of struggling financially, but you have the promise that He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. So what are you going to do in the moments where nothing is happening and nothing has taken place? Can I ask you just a question? In this moment where you're at right now, think of the nothing that you're going through. Maybe any area of your life could be at work or, or in my marriage or with a child. I got this crazy kid. It's just I'm driving me crazy. You have a promise. That if you raise them in the way they should go, you have this promise that if you, if you do what you're supposed to do, that they won't be lost, that God will bring them back. So this night, if I were to ask you, what is your nothing? What is it that's going on in your life that you feel like, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to think about it. Bro, lot, it's just so much, ugh. But now can you turn around and tell me the promise that God has given over that situation? See, Jesus has to do the same thing. Jesus is in a nothing moment. Satan has made sure he is in the, in the biggest nothing moment of his life. He's taken him up in the wilderness. He's made him basically fast for 40 days. He is at his weakest point. And Satan simply tells him the proof. You're hungry. If you're hungry, then turn this stone into bread. I mean, I have the proof. He's not lying. Yeah, I'm hungry. But he doesn't have the promise. Hey, jump off the temple. And, and you know what it says? 
you'll, you'll accomplish what you want to accomplish. Fast. They'll see you coming down. They'll know you're the Messiah. No, That's, that would be proof, but it's not the promise. In fact, Hebrews makes it very clear that Jesus endured the suffering, even the suffering of the cross, for the promise that was given to Him. The Father promised Him and said, if you endure this and you go through this, I promise you I will make you a name and give you a name above every name and, and you will sit next to... He gave Him a promise and He endured it, even the death on the cross, for the promise that was set before Him. See, I've come by to tell you tonight that yes, you have proof. I'm not denying your proof. I'm not telling you that it's not hard right now. I'm not telling you that the doctor wasn't right. I'm not telling you it's all in your mind. I'm not telling you you're not struggling. But what I'm telling you is, is that you have a choice of whether you're going to hang on to proof or you're going to hang on to his promise. Bro, I don't know it. Well, you need to dig it out. You need to get to digging. You need to get on your phone and not look up Facebook. You need to pull up a Bible. Bible scriptures on lost children. Bible scriptures on broken heart. And you need to write them down. And you need to tape them to whatever it is you look at a lot. Put it over your television for a while. And walk by it every so often and just read it. That's the promise I'm holding on to. That, Brother Lot, that sounds real difficult. It is difficult. Elijah has just went through an enormous battle. He has just went through an enormous spiritual moment. And yet in the middle of all of that, he just crumbles down and he, and he buries his head in his knees and he tells his servant, go to the sea and see if you see anything. The servant goes and he, and he comes back and he says, Elijah, I don't see anything. We'll go again. Okay. He comes back. Elijah, I don't see anything. What's Elijah struggling with? The proof. The proof is there is no rain coming, Elijah. No, rain's got to come because I got a promise. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say right here until the promise outlives the proof. That's your spiritual walk. That's how you create the life that you want instead of accepting the life that the enemy says you deserve or you can have. Does that make sense? And y'all are all real quiet tonight, so maybe it's just nice to have you. Nice to see y'all. Okay. Number two, second thing that you're going to have to do if you're going to have to move forward in this. If you're going to move, you're going to have to forget your proof. You're going to hold on to promise. That's, that's the only way. I mean, think about it. If you're coming to church, what are you coming here for? For more proof or more promise? I'm just going to save you the time. All I got for you is promises. They're not my promises. They're his promises. That's all I got. And you walk out of here tonight and say, I don't believe any of that. And that's fine. I'm just telling you my track record. My track record is I believe the promises, and it's worked really, really good for me. Our church has believed the promises. I can have different people stand up and testify. I believe the promise, and here's where God brought me through. I believe the promise, and here's how God healed me. I brought, believe the promise. Here's what God brought me through. See, I, that's all I've got is the promises of God versus the proof that the world and the enemy keeps telling you is reality. Number two, you're going to have to, to live through the nothings moments of life. You are going to have to remain in your position. You're going to have to remain in the position that you are. Notice where Elijah is. He never, he never gets up from where he's at. He's, he's kneeling down. He's, he's, he's just like this. And he says, go. And I'm sure by the fifth time, he's thinking, are you blind? It's got to be a cloud out there. And I can see me struggling with this. Look, let me just get up and I'll go. You just stay here. I'll show you how this thing's done. Anybody struggle with that? 
You got a promise. Man, you, you, you left Sunday service and it's like, I'm believing God for this. I'm believing God. But by Thursday, well, Brother Lot, you know, I, I thought about it. And I figured I'd better just go ahead and do. The promise didn't change. Your position did. And it's very hard to not change your position when you've got a promise. Let, let me see if I can show you when we built Camp Cypress. I, I had a promise from God. God had told me, in fact, somebody had mentioned I'd preached 15, 20 years ago about one day doing a camp. And all the process got, man, we, we, were, we were just right there and it seemed like God was moving and I went to the board and I told the board, hey, here's what God's laid on my heart. Here's what I feel like we ought to do. And they were like, no. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. No. But it was a good no. They said, we need the other land. Because if we don't have the other land, we ain't got room for a camp. And that was the right decision. But see, what it, what it made me do, the reason I didn't like it, is because it forced me to do what? Okay, I'm still in, I'm supposed to do this. But it isn't happening yet. So what do you do? Well, I guess, guess it just wasn't meant to be. No, you stay in the position. Yeah. You stay in that position. You stay, you don't let go of that promise. You got the promise. You just hold the position. So it took seven months Seven more months before I finally was able to swap land for the land that was down here. and That was a miracle in itself. I wish it would have took two weeks, three days. It took seven more months. I'm like, we should be building a camp by now. I'm still trying to get land. God's like, don't lose the position. Stay in the position. Send him a sixth time. Send him as many times as it takes, but you don't let go. You don't change your position. You don't get on Facebook and, well, I guess it wasn't. No, you don't change your position. I don't care what the doctor said. I don't care what your wife said. I don't care what your husband said. I, I, don't, I don't care. You don't change the position when God has given you the promise. I know this is not normal Christian preaching. The normal Christian preaching is we just kind of float along. Whatever happens, happens. We thank God for the good stuff and just, you know, God knows best for the bad stuff. No, no. The prayers of a righteous man availeth. Put that in your bad theology. The, your prayers, holding your position, moves God. It's not that God's just up there, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. No, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. They, when they hold on to a promise, it causes God to remind himself, I made a promise there. I've got to fulfill that. God loves that. Number three, if you're going to live through the nothings moments of life, you must learn that the small Moments. The small moments create big miracles. You keep wanting to wait for the big thing when it's all done. Okay, let's go back to the land. I'm in the position. Oh, God. The board says I can't do it until I get the land. I ain't got no land. God, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to just do holding on to what you said, and I'm, I'm trying to fulfill everything, and I don't know what to do. And, and I went and visited the people who owned the land. Wonderful people. They, they just an older couple, and they were wanting to give that piece of just a property to their grandchildren. And a wonderful thing. And they were like, no, we just we don't want to sell it. We want to give it. And, and, and I, I was like standing there, and it was like, in me, it was like, well, that's it. There ain't nothing. And Jim Reed, who was with me, he, he, he was like, maybe we'll come back later. And as we were walking out the door, and as we exited, she said something. 
And Jim was already ahead of me. He was already headed to the truck. He didn't even hear it. I was walking slower, like, God, I'm missing something somewhere. And, and a voice from behind me, her voice says, Now, Pastor, you know, if we had better land, we would swap because we want to give a grandkids land, but, but we don't want to sell it. And I was like, I understand. And I just start walking, and, and I get in the truck, and I said, well, that's it. Jim's like, we'll just try later. I said, yeah, we'll try back in a couple months, and, you know, we'll just see what God does. And, and God just spoke to me real clearly then. He said, you got your answer? And I was like, no, no, she just said she ain't selling. He said, you got your answer. What did she say? She swapped land. Of course, my reaction is automatic. I don't have no land. I mean, what would you say? I got no land. I don't know. What do you want me to swap with her, God? God said, well, you better go find land. And I started calling everybody, went over by the country club, went all over the place, and no land. So I'm holding the position, holding on to the promise. The board won't move. And the lady wants to swap land, which I don't understand. This is, this is nothing. I'm in nothing land. Anybody ever been in nothing land? You're praying for your kid. You get, they're not calling. It's like, oh, God, at least they're alive. Just, just somehow. And, and, and somebody said, hey, I talked to them the other day. They're doing better. Wonderful. That little, that little nugget. I'm going to hang on to that little nugget. You're just like hanging in there. You're at work. They ain't fired me yet. They keep talking about it. I'm on the short list. I don't know. Maybe I should put in up. You anybody ever been in nothing? Well, if you haven't, let me give you some good news. You will. You're going to one day get there. And I, I was there with this situation. And there I am holding on. Oh, Lord. And I'm like, I don't, I can't find nothing. And driving to visit a lady who's dying of cancer. Linda Atkins' mom is dying of cancer. Precious lady. Good friend. It's not sad. She's saved. She's, she's not upset. She's, she's living it all the way to the end. It's, it's all. And I'm driving along, and I'm like, God, I wish you would heal her. Lord, I wish you'd do a miracle in that. And, and, and I keep praying, and nothing's... And I look up, and there on the tree is this half-rusted, rotten sign. Land for sale. I'm like, I don't need land. I need a miracle. And God just won't let me let it go. I mean, it, it was like the enemy fought me because even that day when I drove to the, her house to pray with her that day, my car didn't work no more. That was the day my little gray BMW had 300-something thousand miles and I got out. I'm leaving her house feeling good. We just prayed. Get in the car. Remember I said, you turn the key and... Mm. Nothing. I'm like, really? <sighs> now I need a vehicle. Man, God, can it get any better? But I need land. God won't let me go. I called one of my buddies whose name was on the thing. He said, Tim, he said, I don't know what there is. There's a fellow who died. His widow is selling pieces of it off. There was 60-something acres to start with. And I said, would you just check, just kind of do a survey and check, I'll pay for the survey, whatever you got to do. He comes back and says, look, there's 15 acres, frontage land, like, like 300 yards of frontage. And he said, it goes back, hooks to a hunting club. He said, it is a really good property. I'm like, let me get this person, let me walk. Well, make a long story short, they walk the land. Hey, we would love to swap for this. Holding the promise. Don't change your position. Don't let go of the position that you started in. And what's number three? To live through nothings, you must learn that small clouds equal big miracles. Her saying that day, hey, we might swap. Me having to drive to pray for someone who is dying of cancer. Me seeing a rotten sign on the 
So you keep waiting for that big thing, that big moment. And God says, if you'll just praise me in every little moment. What happens to Elijah? Elijah sends his servant seven times. On the seventh time when he comes back, he says, all right, it's all I got. There's something that looks like a little hand way out there coming up out of the ocean. And Elijah says, that's it. Go tell Ahab, you better, better get home quick because the rain's coming. And that little hand turned into, the Bible says, the skies turned black. And it began to rain so hard that it was almost like you better get inside because it's fixing to come a gully wash. It's fixing to fill up the creeks. Number four. Go in your Bibles. And I don't have time to read this part, but 1 Kings 19, 1 through 16. I think I can read it. Got time. Let's pull it up. I think I can squeeze these in in the next 20 minutes. I need to read it because I need you to catch what's happening. Now, Ahab now is driving home. It's pouring rain. Man, Elijah's excited again. I've come out. I've done come out of the nothing. Woo! He's fixing to go back to nothing. Let's watch. And Ahab told Jezebel all Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. Now, you've got to understand, he's telling her this while rain is coming, which hadn't fell in three and a half years. Instead of him saying, look, it's raining, baby. He comes in and says, you won't believe how the day went. Well, hey, it's raining. Oh, you don't want to know. Oh, you know, all your friends, all them priests that eat at our table, they won't be coming for supper. They're all dead. Elijah killed every one of them. He called down fire. Well, you'd think he'd be excited about that. He called down fire. It's raining. Everything, everything seems to be good. And Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me. And more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. He said, what you did to my prophets by tomorrow, I'll have done to you. Thank you for the rain. And when he saw that, verse 3, and when he saw that, he, he, he rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So he's alone again. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And there he prayed that he might... <laughs> now this is the same guy that just a short time was like, yes! I mean, think of how quick life changes. One phone call, and you go from, it's a good day. I just wish I'd die. You can, you can enter into nothing. Just nothing is happening. Nothing is moving. I'm right back where I was. But he himself went a day's journey, and he prayed that he might die and said, it's enough. It's enough. Now, Lord, just, just let me go to the grave like my father's. It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to die like they did. Just let it be. Keep it going. Let's get all the way to 16. Then he lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there was at his head was a baked cake baked with, on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, or shook him, interpreted, arise and eat because your journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 more days. That must have been a good meal. 
He went 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mount of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have spoken, are broken, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and kill your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake came. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire came on the mountain. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face on his mantle and went out and suddenly the voice uh, came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he repeats... And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I am alone, left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord God said to him, Go, return on your way in the wilderness to Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel, king of Syria. Also shall you anoint Jehu, son of Mimshi, the king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahul, uh, you shall anoint a prophet in your place. Amazing how quickly everything changes. Let me give you a few more. We showed you three things that he did first. Let me show you a few more things that he does to get out of another moment where there's nothing. Man, I mean, it seems like everything is rain's coming now, and, and surely this is going to get everything started. Everybody's going to be... And the next letter he gets is, I'm going to kill you. And he's running for his life. Wanting to die. How do you get out of those moments? Number one, in nothings, you must be able to distinguish between insulation and isolation. In moments of life, you're going to have to be able to distinguish in those nothing moments when God is trying to insulate you versus isolate you. You're going to feel like God is isolating you. When, when, I, was, when I was in the position, land, this, board, all this, you know what I felt? felt like I was all by myself. You ever feel like that? You even get mad at your husband or your wife because they'll say, what's wrong? Oh, I'm just, I have to do everything around here. I have to tote everything. Don't nobody do anything but me. You ever, ever have that conversation? That's a great conversation. You better not say nothing during that time. Because what they're feeling is isolated and not insulated. Because stress and everything that's happened, we see it as isolation. That God is ripping me out. God is tearing me away. God is removing me. And I'm like, God, why won't they just, why, why can't we just go ahead and start the camp? And why, why, can't, why can't we just, why, why don't you show me this? And, why? and God says, Tim, I'm insulating you right now. These seven months is not meant to hurt you. These seven months are, are meant to, for me to protect you during a time when I'm getting ready to do something bigger. Because if he hadn't have insulated me and prepared me during that time, then the next year and a half of building in the rain and the mud and everything else, I would have been so frustrated and so worn out and so tired. But it's because he was insulating me during that time. It was that time that I realized he wasn't isolating. He wasn't trying to make me feel alone. Tim, figure it out now. You don't want to go through this building thing and feel isolated. You don't want to go through this building thing and feel like you're by yourself. You want to be able to go into this and feel like anything God is doing, He's insulating me. He, he, if He's protecting me, He's always watching over me. He's always... And see, Elijah didn't see it that way. When you don't see it that way, this is always the result. 
You will always feel like you're the only one. How many times in your life you felt like nobody knows? And even though we know Scripture tells us all things, there's nothing new under the sun, how many of us live our lives feeling like nobody knows how I feel? I'm the only one. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Oh, I could have I cried you a river during those days. Here I am, God, trying to do something, and nobody's helping. God's like, I'm helping. I'm working on it, Tim. I'm, I'm getting you to the place you need to be. I'm working on it. So number one, number four, make sure that you don't see your situations in life as though God is isolating you or leaving you. He's normally always insulating you for the next season of your life. When God was feeding Elijah, He was insulating him. When God was giving him rest, He was insulating him. When God was later going to speak to him, He's doing all this so He can insulate him. Hey, Elijah, you can't do this. You're going to have to realize God is trying to help. What if He had just got up and said, No, I don't want anything to eat. I'm, I'm, I'm just not hungry. One of the biggest mistakes people make in, in hospitals is that. You have a, a loved one who's in the hospital. You go in to sit with them. Somebody comes by and says, hey, let's go down to the cafeteria. Let me buy you something to eat. What do you always say? No, I'm not hungry. Let me give you a new phrase. Shoot yeah. That needs to be your new line. If you're ever in that situation, just smile and say, Shoot, yeah. Because what is God trying to do? Insulate you. God knows you're going to have to sit there. God's knowing you're going. You just might think that God may have sent somebody that had extra $10 that might want to love on you, that God might have gave it in their heart to say, let me feed you. That's the least. I, you're going to be spending the night here. Is there anything I can get you? Oh, no. And then when they leave, you're like, man, I could sure use a Coke. Now, I know y'all don't do that. I'm just saying there's people in the world who do that at hospitals. Just realize God is trying to insulate you through problems. So when He brings things, it may not be the answer that you want right at the moment, but it's helping you get ready for the answer that is to come. There's times I've been, I've been through things and just the right song come on. I remember when my dad passed away. And, I, and it was a song I never heard before, and, and, and it just came on at that one time, and it was later became a more popular. It was the first time I ever heard it, and it was about, it was about uh, Traveler, and that was the name of the song, you know, Weary Traveler. And I never heard that song in my life, and man, I was turning on the interstate, and I was like, God, you know, this is, uh, you know, I, I'm not upset or anything. I know my dad's ready to go, and, and, and I, I was not, but how do, I, how do I deal with that? And that song came on, he said, Tim... Your dad was a traveler. He just got to be a weary traveler. It was time to come. Man, I pulled off the side of the road and I just started bawling. What was God doing? He was insulating me. Because in a two or three days, I had to preach my dad's funeral. He's like, Tim, I need to put something in you before you get to that part. Does this make sense? Let God insulate you during times... Don't see it as I don't don't pull for isolation. Number two, number five. In, in, in the nothings, we must not neglect the natural or we will miss the supernatural. I just said that and I, I'm not going to beat it. But Elijah couldn't deal with the supernatural things until God first dealt with his natural. Elijah had just went through Mount Carmel. He had just called down fire. He had just killed 450 prophets of Baal. Man, he got so excited. God came on him one time. He outran a chariot. I mean, think about that. Horses and chariot. He, the Bible says he picked up his, his, his cloak, tied it around his waist so it didn't, didn't trip him up. And he took off running and was outrunning the chariots of the king and met him at the gate. What's up? I mean, this guy has been through it. He is, he's tired. And it's okay to be tired. 
It's okay to just get something to eat. When I used to go on youth trips, <laughs> I kid you not, man, it was some awesome times. I would, I would pray with people and doing, doing all this and driving the bus and trying to stay awake and, and doing all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and we'd go to a mall. And that was my favorite time. Because everybody, they would all team up together and they'd all take off. And I would always look for a restaurant, not in the mall, just one I could walk to. Usually it was a Mexican restaurant or something. And I would say, okay, we're going to meet back at the bus at 3 o'clock. And I would turn around and I would leave. And I would head to that Mexican restaurant and I would sit there. Nobody knew me. They just kept bringing chips and salsa. And that lady just kept looking at my glass. And, Could you want more half and half tea? Oh, yes, ma'am, please. And I would sit there for the whole time. If it was three hours, that was wonderful. And I would eat. And I was just like, man, this is living. Why? Because God had taught me, Tim, there's times your natural has to be dealt with before you're ever going to do anything great spiritual. So I don't complain when I take off for weeks and, and, and somebody says, where's Pastor Lot? He, he's gone to the woods. He's gone to pray. He's gone. Look, I, don't, I hate to say it. I don't miss y'all. I love y'all and I can't wait till I come back and I'm ready. But at the moment, it's like, mm -mm. I'm like Elijah. It's like, just let me die. And God's like, no, you just need something to eat. No, I really want to die. This would be a good time. I've done all I can do, God. i got no more left in the tank. I am done. No, no, just get, some, get you something to eat. Get you some sleep, Tim. Climb up in that tent. Go down there and sit and watch the water for a while. Just Anybody know what I'm talking about? We, we get, we, sometimes we make everything spiritual. Sometimes you just need to go get you a gallon of Milo's tea, even though you're not supposed to have it. If you want to mix it with some water, whatever. Just sit there and just say, this is living. Yeah. Go buy Redbox, get you just a, a clean movie, something good to watch. And just put that bad boy in and just sit there and just like, what are you doing? I don't nothing. Where's your phone? In the car. What if something happened? It just had to happen without me. Because I'm done. It's okay. It's, it's okay to be that way. Now, you don't need to be that way every moment. Like I said, doing nothing will accomplish. But there are times in your life where being able to stop for just a moment, realize I need to physically be right before God. Because if you're not physically right, and God says, Tim, here's the next thing I want you to do, you're not going to be excited about it. You're going to be like Elijah. Oh, there's nobody like me, God. I'm telling you, I've done everything I can do. There's nobody. You, I'm the only one you got. God's like, Elijah, you need a Frappuccino or something, son. You, you need something. We'll talk. Number three. When I can get those things right, then finally what God's able to do in my life is that I'm able to, in the moments of nothing, distinguish God's voice then from all the other voices. What we want to do is hear God's voice. And let me just tell you something. God never quits talking. When people say, I just don't hear God talking, I'm like, yeah, you do. The problem is, is that you got all those other voices and the noise is deafening. I have a phrase that I use all the time, and, and this is one I probably never shared with you. If I have, I don't remember. This is, this is very personal to me. But it's very important, so I'm going to share it with you. I have a phrase that I use on myself all the time when I'm in these moments, and I say it this way, Tim, the silence is deafening. The silence is deafening. What it means is, 
I say I'm not hearing anything. But the problem is I'm hearing everything. And even if I read a scripture, I can't. And even if I try to pray, and God says, Tim, you've got to grab my promise, position yourself, don't, don't give up, no matter how long it takes. Trust that it's going to happen. You got, you got to, in, in that time, you, you can't worry about everything you're seeing, everything that's going on. You may need to get something to eat. You may need to, but Tim, stay there. Hold on. Rest if you got to. But get to the place to where you can distinguish my voice. And of all the things I've learned over all the nothing moments in my life is how to push back all the noise and just wait for that small, still voice. That's why I don't wait for the great miracle. The great miracles just take place. The Bible says signs and wonders will follow them who believe. That means I'm moving and everything that I'm wanting is coming from behind. It's catching up with me. But where I'm at up front, I don't see it. I just believe it. There are some of you in this room tonight that, yeah, it's a nothing moment. Yeah. Brother Lot, I'm trying to, I need to get a scripture, or I've got a scripture. I'm trying to hold to it. Yeah. It doesn't seem like anything's changing yet. But don't change your position. Don't change who you're trusting in. Don't, don't, don't go back. Get something to eat if you need to. Take a weekend. Even if you say, well, last thing I need to do is take... No, sometimes the best thing you can do is just say, you know, tonight I'm just going to go get a hotel room and I'm going to spend the night and I'm going to get up and eat that free breakfast and I'm just going to chill. And if I get there early enough, I'm going to go hang out in that indoor pool. And you say, bro, why don't you do that? Done it. If that's what you need to do, do it. Because the next day you've got to re-engage. The next day you've got to be able to distinguish that voice. Because when you can hear the voice, then you know what to do next. When I was in that position and got the sign and got all this and got... And all that came together, I knew what to do next. Then I was like, okay, let's do a capital campaign. Let's, let's get other churches. And God, it ain't just about me. Then God could speak to me and say, Tim, I want you to make this statewide. I want you to send letters out to all the pastors. I want, and I'm like, okay. Elijah didn't like everything he was told to do. Probably didn't care too much that Elisha was fixed to take his job but he had direction. And the greatest thing you ever get from God is direction. Because if he's given you direction, that means like Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. He maketh me, he restoreth my soul. He is already prepared. He is already set in place. He's already got it. And now I can trust Him. Jesus would later say it this way, My sheep know My voice and they follow Me. It's that simple. Will you stand?
I don't know tonight exactly where you are. Maybe you're in this room tonight and you say, Pastor, I don't have a promise. That's okay. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. Make it even easier, you probably got one on your phone. And so when you got that, when you have got that in place, just pull up on your phone real simply, hey, Scripture's on this. I can't make it any, any easier or harder. I'm just telling you, my promises won't. I can't hold your hand and say, hey, it's going to be all right. That's going to last you probably about morning. And then you're going to say, Pastor, I don't know what he's talking about. But if you will wrestle out of Scripture, two or three that fit what God has promised over your situation, what's your worry, what's anxiety to you, then that's what you hold to. Maybe you're in this room tonight and it's getting real hard to remain in the position you're in. And you're saying, Pastor, I've been, I've been praying about this for weeks, months, years. I know. I know. Elijah had been wanting this his whole life. His whole life. Wanting to see his people come back to God. And what made him who he is, the father of prophets, is the fact that he would not change position. He would not let it go. Maybe you're in this room and God's doing little things around you, just enough to keep you going. And you're getting frustrated because you don't see the big thing yet. You just need to learn to praise Him for the next little thing, the next little thing, the next door, the next opportunity. Because that's how God works. Maybe you're in this room, and just like we talked about a few minutes ago, maybe you feel isolated. But a lot of, I just don't feel like I can talk about it. I don't feel like, I don't feel like God's working. I don't feel like I feel isolated. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Nobody loves me. Maybe He's insulating you. Maybe tonight God is just trying to build you up, protect you, feed you, take care of you before the big thing comes. Maybe He's trying physically to help you. Maybe you're in a position right now where, Lord, I've been praying, I've been holding on. Then, then go have some fun. I promise you this, God has a beautiful scripture when I think about this. He says that he was working while you're sleeping. And I like that. Some nights I go to bed and I got a bunch of stuff and I was just like, well, God, you got the night shift. It's yours. I'm going to bed. That means tonight while I'm sleeping, you're, you're doing something. You're working. You're preparing. You're working on it. Maybe you're doing all those things and you just need to close your eyes and slow down and just listen for that voice. Just listen for the voice that says, hey, this is next. Yeah, but God, it ain't. no, 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 don't worry, about, don't worry about where you're at. This is next. Yeah, but how are you going to fix? Don't worry about that. This is next. I don't see how that's going to make a difference, God. It's not for you to see it. Just keep moving. Just don't stop and do nothing. With every head bowed in this place tonight, Father, for wherever that person is right now, you are their father, you are their healer. You are the miracle that they need. And I didn't do this tonight to drag them to me. I did it tonight to make them come to you. To Father, hold on to a promise, to hold to a position, to not give up, 
God, whatever they need to do right now is you're speaking to them. Whether it's just, hey, just relax. Whether it's, hey, quit stressing over this. I got this. Whether it's you speaking a small word that says, hey, do this. And it may not even seem like it's anything related to what they're doing, but God, you're just telling them, keep moving. Believe me, I'm working. And Father, whatever that word is right now, in the name of Jesus, I speak against all the noise and I speak against all the frustration. I speak against all the fear of the isolation, all the feeling like it's I'm alone. God, I speak in the name of Jesus. They are not alone. And that right now, God, you speak a word into their spirit. And I praise you for it. Just like you've done me a thousand times. That one more word that moves me to my destiny. God, I speak that word to them as they move to their destiny. In Jesus' name, amen.